Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey, everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand towards your next career breakthrough. Well, it is March, which means it is Women's History Month, and today, Tuesday, March 8th, is International Women's Day. You know what? I ask you to imagine a gender-equal world. A world free of bias, stereotypes, and discrimination. A world that's diverse, equitable, and inclusive. A world where difference is valued and celebrated. Together, we can forge women's equality. Collectively, we can all hashtag break the bias. So celebrate women's achievement, raise awareness against bias, and take action for equality. Here at Lead With Your Brand, we are amplifying the voices of women with Women on Brand, our collection of shows featuring amazing executives, business leaders, and innovators who just happen to be female. So make sure that you visit leadwithyourbrand.com slash womenonbrand to listen to the entire collection. And in honor of International Women's Day, today I am highlighting some of my favorite conversations with three fantastic entertainment and media executives. We'll be talking to Michelle Alban, who is the Vice President of Communications and Social Impact for Paramount Global Networks Americas, formerly known as Viacom CBS. We'll also be talking to Pooja Vora, who is the Executive Vice President of Marketing and Strategy over at Showtime Networks. And we'll be hearing from Paula Williams-Madison, the Chairman and CEO of Madison Media Management LLC and 88 Madison Media Works. We'll be back in just a few moments with Michelle, Pooja, and Paula. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back and we are celebrating International Women's Day. Now, last season, I sat down with one of my good old friends, Michelle Alban. Now, she is the Vice President of Communications and Social Impact for Paramount Global Networks Americas. Her background includes leadership communication roles at NBC Universal and Telemundo, as well as a deep understanding of digital media, research, and analytics, because she started her career over 
over at Nielsen. Now, Michelle is also a proud Air Force veteran. Now, I loved in our conversation with Michelle how she talked about how important mentors have been in her career and in turn, how inspirational it has been for her to mentor others. I wanted to have you on the show because you've had this amazing career in PR and crisis communications across all of, you know, entertainment and and media. And I really wanted to hear from you. When you look back, what were some of the big career breakthrough moments for you? Sure. There has definitely been pivotal moments in my career that really changed the trajectory of it. But I think one of the biggest one was when I went from being in research, right? I worked at Nielsen Media Research at that time. Then I went to Telemundo to run their primary research. I always felt I loved that career. I love research, but I always felt that something was missing. And I wanted to explore my journalism career. I had gotten, I had received a degree in journalism from the University of South Florida. I also did a brief stint as a community reporter from the St. Pete Times. And I love that. You know, I love that part of my career. I explained that to Millie Carrasquillo, who was at that time my boss and yeah. know her well. And I said, you know, like, I, I feel like I want to kind of pursue that area. And she, in turn, spoke to the president of Telemundo at that time was Don Brown. And, you know, Don, as he, yeah. he He's amazing and he loves to mentor people. So he brought me up to his office and I remember being so nervous, like, why am I speaking to the president of Telemundo as I'm trying <laughs> to put in my career, you know, my, my, my resignation. And he said, look, I totally understand, but you, you know, I understand your ambition, but you can do something like that here. How about if you start, I would love to, you know, have a corporate communications department here at Telemundo, which at that point they didn't have. And I'd like you to start. I'd like you to, to to build that with Alfredo Richard, who also we also know. Yeah. And and that's how I got into public relations because of Don Brown and Millie Carrasquillo. Like that was that changed my whole life. Yeah. And, and so it sounds like you were actually you were ready to walk out the door and go somewhere else because it didn't look like the opportunity existed. Absolutely. That's exactly it. And um, people like, you know, Don Brown can really like mentors can really change your life like. He gave me the opportunity. I, I didn't have any experience in communications at that time. And he gave me that opportunity. So talk to me. You said, you know, you were like, oh, my gosh, now I'm walking into the CEO's office. You know, how did you even approach that conversation? Well, that really had to do. That was really, again, another mentor, Millie Carrasquillo. She was like, no, you have to go and talk to Don. I was like, I'm not going talk to Don Brown. And she was like, no, really. And, and she had had that previous conversation. She was the connector really of that. Don has now since become a very big mentor for me, even throughout my whole career. I think that even now I could call Don up and ask him for advice, which, you know, I have done in the past. And that's, that's a really great opportunity and something that I'm very lucky to have. And Michelle, I know that you have given such great advice and benefited so much from the mentorship of others. Tell me a little bit about how you have flipped that to give back to other people. Who are you mentoring or how are you mentoring other people? Sure. I do feel like that mentorship is really important and giving back is super important. One is in my veteran community, right? I do work a lot with veterans that are transitioning out of the military and how to really trans make that transition 
a lot of them find me on LinkedIn. You know, they'll send me an email and, and ask me, can you help me? I'm, I'm about to transition out. And I have worked with a lot of veterans on, on finding that. And it's funny because they're random. They're not in just entertainment. There some are teachers, some are their technology industries. And it's so funny because we do have, you know, veterans has, a, we have a huge network. Like it's almost like an yeah. underground network. And then I'm like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I know this person. And this person works in California and this person works in the you know school board. So that has been really big. The other program that I'm involved in is Women of Tomorrow, which is something that John Brown was had founded. And those are um, underprivileged minority women, girls. And um, I have worked a lot with them and going into the classroom at that time before COVID, we were going into the classroom and talking to these young girls and helping them graduate high school. And that has been really powerful for me. I'll never forget. I was at the mall and walking through with my kids and this young girl came up to me and said, you know, Miss Alvin, I, I don't know if you remember me, but you know, you came to my classroom and I just wanted to let you know, like I'm the assistant manager of, um, of the store of the, of the, one of the retail stores now. And I, I was able to do that because you helped me. You, you really did change my life. And that that's huge. That's able to, again, going back to, I want to make a difference in this world. That's making a difference. Wow, I just love that conversation with Michelle. There is so much power around mentorship. And ultimately, you need to ask for what you want in your career. You don't get what you don't ask for. It's so important when you're working towards your next career breakthrough. Now, to hear my full conversation with Michelle, go ahead and visit Season 2, Episode 15 of the Lead With Your Brand podcast right here on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, another one of my favorite conversations was with Pooja Vora. Now, Pooja is the executive vice president of marketing and strategy for Showtime Networks. And in her role, Pooja oversees the marketing of all of Showtime's original programming. Now, she started with roots in Mumbai, working for Seagram's and MTV India. And she's had an incredible career with senior marketing roles at BSE Global, True TV, Oxygen, and Bravo. Now, in my conversation with Pooja, she shared how in her career, one of the big driving forces has been having the courage to take risks and go for what you want. In fact, Pooja talks about when it is just too comfortable, she knows it's time for a new challenge. Take a listen. So Pooja, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is you have this amazing career across these really huge media networks, right? From Bravo and Oxygen, which is where we met. You've been at Warner Brother and, and Showtime. I want you to kind of think back over your career. What have been some of the biggest career breakthrough moments for you? And then, you know, the one thing I wanted to ask you about is on your LinkedIn profile, 
you talk about doing something like 150 informational interviews before someone would even give you a break. So so tell me about that, because that feels like a career breakthrough moment. Yes. And the number, I think, might have been 49. I don't think it was quite as much as 150. <laughs> but thank you for just amplifying, Jason. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're like rounding it up to the closest. Exactly. Just round it up. <laughs> um, you know, I would actually take one step back um, and even even, you know, kind of go back to India a little bit. So I grew up in India and was at Seagram, an alcohol company, and then was at MTV Networks in in Mumbai and had a really incredible kind of career, lots of exciting work at the time. India was just kind of opening up in terms of media. But when I was at Seagram, I happened to bring in this band from the UK called Uncle Fish Fry. And we used them to launch a brand of scotch called Passport. And at the age of 24, I was a band manager. I was on the road with them for a month. I was on the road with wow. them. Gig, like clubs, gigs, making them. And I was like therapist to them because they were fighting with each other all the time. <laughs> I was doing PR and publicity. I came back. I could barely walk because I was so exhausted. It was the best month of my life. <laughs> it was the best month because I was like this. And so I quit in a month after that. And I joined MTV in India and I, I moved, I moved cities. I took a 50 or a 60% salary cut. I stayed on a friend's couch for a year and a half just so that I could afford to live in Mumbai, which is a very expensive city. It's like worse than New York, but it was so exciting. And then I decided at some point that I really wanted to come to the US and be in the center of the media universe. You know, it felt like it's New York. You've got to be here. And so I came here uh, in late, late 99, 2000. And I had no idea how hard it was going to be. I didn't have family. I didn't have any network. I hadn't gone to school here. I just showed up and I literally spent the first week on the couch of this lady that I had met in India like three months ago. And she had been traveling through India and she had an apartment and I stayed with her and, you know, and kind of took it from there. And I think to me, this, the, that was a big moment, making the decision from India to move to the US and kind of jumping off the deep end a little bit um, with no safety net at the time. I was young. I was like 28, 29. So I was young-ish. Um, I think that was huge because that those four years really defined who I was. You know, I had a relatively stable upbringing in India. I was lucky to be born into a you know, middle-class family, you know, my father pushed me a ton to work hard and, you know, number two was never good enough. You always had to be number <laughs> one, but, you know, went to some good, great schools, worked really hard. And I think the interesting thing about being an immigrant, and I think about that experience a lot, is when you come from another country and where you, when you leave the comfort of your own home and come to a foreign, a foreign home, in some ways you are already... Um, you have such a thick skin because you had to make so many decisions to push yourself yeah. out. So you're kind of already primed for, okay, this is going to be hard, but I think I can do it. You don't even realize it at the time because it takes a lot to leave everything that you know. Um, and, and you have to work so hard to get here. So I think me making that 
leaving, being, un- and I, I think that's a theme for me always, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. And whenever things are too comfortable, I feel like, oh, you know, this is a little boring. Or I need to switch it up. I need to mix it up. Or what's, what more? Someday that will hopefully stop so I can, I can rest a little <laughs> bit. But so that was, that was a big, big thing. And my parents were not happy about it. They did not want me to leave. I was doing really well in India and they saw no reason for it. But I was like, I've got to do it. I've got to yeah. do it. I came here. I didn't find work for I think, I think three or four years. And that's where the 49 informational interviews were had. It took me a really long time and a lot of beating down a lot of doors. Because at the time, if you think about it in 2000, 2001, a diversity was not what it is today. I don't think people, and no, no, no knock on anyone, but people just didn't understand, and I get it, that why would a woman from India who didn't grow up in the U.S., why can she help me market anything? Mm. She has no sense of the culture. Like, what's a puja? Like, puja, you know, do you speak English? Like, what is a, you know what I mean? It is so, I was so not like anyone else. I hadn't gone to school here. I didn't have an accent. I didn't have a network. I didn't have any sponsors, you know? And so that I can imagine me knocking on doors and people being like, I don't know why I should hire you. So I really appreciate the people who took chances on me and specifically somebody called Karen Bronzo helped me, gave me my first break. So I, I, you know, she was incredibly important. And then, you know, a few other things happened and again, got comfortable and decided to kind of take my next big step. And I think Bravo was one of those other big career changing moments for me because you were suddenly thrown into this environment and you were there at NBC yeah. and and where I feel Lauren Zelaznik and Jason Klarman pushed us so hard. It was about transforming this brand from this older, more staid brand into something that was relevant and pop culturally crucial. And so I launched Project Runway season two and Top Chef season one and Kathy Griffin season one and Real Housewives season one and all of that. So that was huge because I think even though it was insane, I grew the most in those two or three years at Bravo. What was the hardest part during those years? Because it was so fun. (laughs) It wasn't. The hardest part was how hard you worked. Yeah. Because there was no letting up, even though we had no iPhones and no none of that. But we basically worked all the time because we all cared so much. But it was the best in some ways at that time. I was I was like middle management. I was a director. So you are close enough to the work, far enough away from like being too senior. You could really get your hands into things. Very smart people, great content. So that was incredible. And then I again, moved back to India. I was doing really well here. And I moved back to India for a couple of years. You got too comfortable? I I got too comfortable. I was like, oh, this is great. But, you know, it just felt like I should move back. I'm from India, moved back. I I won't bore you with all the details, but came back to the US eventually. And then I feel Showtime has been such an interesting new leap for me because I, I really enjoyed where I was at Warner. Really was so excited. Michael Engelman, who's my boss and the CMO at, uh, at at Showtime, called me when he was moving here. And it was such an imp- interesting opportunity for me because it was going to be about how much more I could learn and how I could learn to be in this hybrid model of us being a premium cable network, but also now really a streaming player. Yeah. So that has been a huge learning curve. And so I think the themes for me probably, as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking it's about like putting yourself in a situation where you're at the bottom of your learning curve Mm. and how can you now spend the next few months or years trying to go up that, you know, go up that, that mountain of, of learning and new, 
like flossing your brain. I think about like it, like flossing my brain. Yeah. And, and then once you've got there, that that's when you're comfortable, right? And you, that's when you know it's time to look. <laughs> I'm not there new. yet at showtime. <laughs> I have, I have, I have so much more, so much more to do, and so much more to I hope to give and to get. So not not there yet because it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's an exciting time at showtime. I love that Pooja talks all about knowing it's time to make a career breakthrough move when she feels too comfortable. So ask yourself in your role, are you feeling too comfortable? Maybe it's time to take on a new stretch assignment. Maybe it's time to take on some new projects. Maybe it's time to reevaluate and look for that next career breakthrough at your organization or elsewhere. She is just a force of nature. Now, if you want to hear all about my conversation with Pooja, make sure you check out season two, episode 21 for the full story. Now, finally, I have one of the most inspirational people that I have ever met. It was always a pleasure and an honor to spend time and work with her at NBC Universal. And of course, it is Paula Madison. Now, Paula is the chairman and CEO of Madison Media Management LLC and 88 Madison Media Works Incorporated. Now, back in 2000, 2011, Paula retired from NBC Universal, where she had been appointed the executive vice president of diversity, as well as a vice president of the General Electric Company, which was then the parent company of NBC Universal. Now, over her 22 years with the company, she held a number of successful leadership roles and was named one of the 75 most powerful African Americans in corporate America by Black Enterprise Magazine. Let's take a listen to one of my favorite conversations where Paula shares how she negotiated her role to be the first chief diversity officer in a major corporation, all while standing up for what she believed in. So talk to me about moving from being a a really big general market television station manager into being the first chief diversity officer for a company. Now, see that, see, I, I didn't see that as much of a transition, mm. right? I am a per, I, I, I have, I have worked in so many roles, all of which I found stimulating. Mm-hmm. And by the time they kind of weren't stimulated, I, I mean, I don't know that I, that I was, I was already moved on to the next job. You understand? Yeah. So I'm doing this job and I'm, I'm as innovative as I can be. And I'm known for being a problem solver and, uh, you know, and I'm strategic and analytical and I can do this and this and this. And then it's like, oh, so I can do that. Now, that transition was I intended to retire early. I was going to retire early because I had made up in my mind years before that I was going to complete this missing family link, find my, my mother's father who had left Jamaica and returned to China when she was three years old and she never saw him again. So at the point where I was asked to take on that role, I was actually going to retire from working for someone else mm-hmm. and I was going to run the Los Angeles Sparks, the team that my family owned. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be in my own time so I could explore and research and find the missing family in China. One day I was the general manager of the TV station. Jeff Zucker 
who was the CEO, he called me in and asked me if I would consider becoming chief diversity officer. And I said, no. And he said, well, I mean, you're right now, you're like you're co-chairing the diversity council. I said, I know, but you know, that's like, I'm, I'm Jamaican. We have 50 jobs. I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with doing that, <laughs> but, but, but taking on that role is, is a job that puts me in a position of being a consultant mm-hmm. and I'm not going to spend all my time trying to advise these people to do things. And so that was that. And then probably two weeks later, maybe a week later, Don Imus, you know, the radio talk guy, mm-hmm. called the Rutgers women's basketball team nappy-headed hoes. Mm-hmm. And that's how I went from being a general manager to the chief diversity officer. Because instead of retiring early, I went back to Jeff Zucker and said, after I think at that point I'd been in the company maybe 18 years, yeah. I said, if this is where we are, this is where we find ourselves, and we have this much more to go, I'm going to take this job provided, and here, here were the provisions, this company says goodbye to Don Imus, and that the position you're referring to reports to you and only you, the CEO. No dotted line to HR, no dotted line to legal. Nope, I only report to the CEO. And at the time, our uh, parent company was General Electric. And I said, and I would like for it to be a GE company officer job. It has a large enough portfolio It's an enterprise-wide job. It should be a company officer. And the response was, well, what do I say when, you know, people say, well, Don, I misapologized. I mean, why do we have to say goodbye? And I said, well, thank God we live in the United States of America. People have freedom of speech and right-to-work situations where if a person violates company policy, you can say goodbye. That's Mm -hmm. one. Two, He said, yeah, the position would report only to me. Great. And three, well, I don't make that decision. It's Jeff Immelt, who was the chairman of GE, who would make that decision. And I said, okay. He said, so so that's not my decision. I said, okay, well, then go ask him. (laughs) I mean, okay, not your decision. I asked the question. You know, I'm, I'm okay. Just go find the answer. So I think the next day he... You know, we and then of course we were struggling with the whole Don Imus stuff. And by struggling, I mean it I mean, was ugly, right? It was. It I mean, was I remember ugly. this. It was very ugly, and 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 inside the building, inside Thirty Rock, it was like gut wrenching. People were so upset. So let's say that over the next few days, here's what played out: we said goodbye to Don Imus, and I'm not even suggesting that it was because of what I. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I I put on the table mm-hmm. that. I would not want to work for a company. I would not want to continue working for a company where someone could freely and comfortably make such a statement about teenagers, right? Mm-hmm. And, and still be employed there. So that there was that. The, the, the issue about it reporting directly to him, great. Again, my concern about being perceived by other division heads as, hey, well, she's just coming to give some advice. No, I'm not. 
Mm-hmm. I'm showing up because we're going to work through the the weaknesses in the company insofar as diversity and inclusion are concerned, and we're going to address them. And then uh, came back and said, well, you know, I talked to Jeff Immelt, and um, he said he's, he, he can present it to the board at the, I think it was the fall board meeting. So let's pretend now that this is probably May, June, somewhere like that. Yeah. At the fall board meeting, and, um, you know, so so then one would expect that, you know, the board would say yes, and they vote you in. And I said, okay. He said, so, so okay. I said, no. I said, we'll wait. Wait, wait until the board votes and makes me a company officer, and then I'll do it. And he was like, what? I said, no, no, no. I'm... <laughs> Why would I do that? You know, I mean, historically, you know, black people, right, we have all the credentials first before we get the job. Yeah. Historically, white males have some of the credentials and are allowed to grow into that role. These are not the musings of Paula. These are facts, yeah, right? Absolutely. And and I was like, no, I'm not going to no, I'm not going to start the job. No, that, that's one of those things like, well, here, just start doing the job. And we'll give you the raise in three months. Well, why would I do that? Yeah. Well, is that because, you know, is that how you, you, excuse me, Mr. Is that how you were paid? I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? Because I'm so anxious to get approval and be the first fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. As I said, my aspirations were never to be the first fill in the blank. My aspirations were to continue to reach the career path that I wanted to be on. And Mm -hmm. then I would make friends with somebody in HR And here's how I always loved HR. I'd make friends with somebody in HR and try to learn whether, you know, of my peers, was I among the highest paid? Because if I wasn't among the highest paid, I would leave. That was always my plan. Well, why would I, well, again, why would I stay, right, if I have an expectation that I'm going to be among – remember who yeah. I was raised by, right? <laughs> remember all of that. This, this we, I need not, to go to her school. This, this is not uh, – I, I was on a, a, a Zoom yesterday where people were talking about imposter syndrome. And I said, you know, I'd never heard of that phrase until about two and a half years ago, two and a half, maybe three years ago. And they said, well, you know, what do you think of it? I said, I've never had it. And they're like, really? I said, no. And I, and I, and I'm, I don't know whether I should be embarrassed to say I've never had it, because what does that suggest? But I've never had that. And I've never had that because what I know is that everybody doesn't come fully equipped with everything. So... Maybe that that's something, there are elements that I'm just not going to learn or know, but maybe if those are things that I need to know, I'll go learn them, right? But that doesn't mean I can't have the job. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean I can't, I mean, look at my resume and look at all the (laughs) stuff that I've done and all the first, it's like impossible that I'm afraid that I don't really belong here. Why would I think that? 
Yeah. Right? Now, what I do recognize is especially being African-American, being Jamaican-American, being a person of the African diaspora, being black, is that there is a systemic, institutionalized, right, ingrained in this country where black people have been told you're not. They've been treated as though you're not. It's been legislated. It's been, so, so it stands to reason that some people will have had, unfortunately, they will have internalized that, right? But like I said, they didn't grow up with my mother. Wow, I just love that conversation with Paula. She is always an inspiration. And a huge shout out to her mother and all of the mothers out there that continually inspire us to show up as our best authentic selves every single day. Now, if you want to hear my full conversation with Paula, check out season two, episode 12 on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Wow, what an inspirational set of conversations with Pooja, Michelle, and Paula. You know, the through line here is that you can take control of your career. You've got to make proactive steps to lead with your brand towards your next career breakthrough. And what an amazing time to celebrate International Women's Day. I say a huge thank you and a debt of gratitude to all of the amazing women who have helped make me who who I am today. Remember, we are amplifying the voices of women here on the podcast. So check out Women on Brand, our collection of shows featuring amazing executives, business leaders, and innovators, all who just happen to be female. So visit leadwithyourbrand.com slash women on brand to hear the entire collection. That's our show for you today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you loved what you heard, make sure that you are following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast so you get a brand new episode every single Tuesday. Check me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria and make sure that you are using the International Women's Day hashtag today. It is hashtag break the bias. And remember, in your career, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are a super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.